Well, happy Sabbath, church family. What a blessing it is to work together, isn't it? Uh, when a church uh, has, has unity and synergy, I believe that they can accomplish more because Jesus is coming soon. Uh, the only reason that our church is here is to be a light uh, to our community in this world. And so uh, I, I pray that we can continue to uh, work together uh, uh, toward that. And uh, also, if you notice in your bulletin, you'll see that the sermon title uh, is not entirely in English. And for those that are visiting here, our family, the Harpers, my wife and our three children, had the privilege in the month of October to travel to Poland to share a Bible prophecy seminar there. And I'm going to be sharing a mission report for today's message. And so uh, you can see that the uh, title of the Bible Prophecy Seminar was Explore the Future of the World. And so we're going to be talking about uh, Poland, what God did there, share some stories. Um, and and uh, I pray that uh, in that process, the rest of us will be inspired for, for mission as well. Uh, how many of you have, have been enjoying the Sabbath School lesson? Uh, it's been a great lesson this quarter, and uh, for those that are not aware, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, uh, around the globe, all 22 million of us study the same lesson every week, uh, and we call it Sabbath School, and during that time, we uh, look at a different uh, uh, theme each quarter, and this theme for this quarter is mission, and we're, today's uh, uh, lesson was on uh, excuses that we sometimes come up with for mission, uh, but ultimately those aren't good excuses. They're not legitimate excuses. God wants all of us to be involved in, in, in mission. So I'm thankful that uh, today's message, in a way, ties in with our, our Sabbath school uh, lesson as well. So why don't we go ahead and bow our heads again and ask God to be with us as we dive into his word. Father in heaven, Thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather week after week to learn, to be inspired, to be challenged, to be encouraged, uh, all through the study of your word. And Father, we recognize that all of us here are weak human vessels, and we are amazed that you somehow can work through humanity to spread the best news that has ever been given. The news that there is a Savior who loves us and who gave his life on Calvary for us. And so, Lord, as we study that beautiful message today, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would guide us, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation. Let's all turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. When the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, we have gone over this, but for those that uh, may not be aware, uh, who is the dragon, church family? Satan, okay? Satan uh, is the dragon. And who is the woman here? The church, God's people. God's people give birth to the male child, and who does that represent? Jesus. 
So the dragon is upset at God's people. The dragon realizes that the best way to get after Jesus, the best way to get after God, is to go after God's children, the church. So he's angry with the church, and he goes to persecute Jesus. He tries to, uh, earlier on in Revelation 12, he tries to take out Jesus, but we see that Jesus is caught up to the throne. And thankfully, Jesus, even though Satan tried to wipe him out, Jesus resurrected from the grave. Amen? But notice verse 14. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. The serpent is upset with God's people and there's a period of time after Jesus goes back up to heaven, a period of time in Christianity that we call the dark ages, the middle ages, a time period that spans, the Bible tells us, 1,260 years, beginning in 538 AD when the last Aryan tribe, the Ostrogoths, was removed and Justinian gives the power to the church because he had things to do in the east, so he gives the power to the church in the west. And in 538 AD, the beast power, the antichrist power, the little horn power, the Roman church state, they end up taking power and they are in power for 1,260 years until 1798. But that period of time the Bible calls the wilderness. It was a time of great darkness when people did not have easy access to the scriptures. We are so grateful, we're so thankful that we can just uh, go anywhere and get the Bible. We have it on our phones, we can access access it on the internet. Uh, Walmart, you can get a, a Bible. But there was a period of time in our earth's history where the Bible was not able to be accessed. And that time was a time of of great darkness where people struggled, where people didn't have the same hope and faith that we have. But during that time, did God give up on the church? Of course not. In fact, the Bible says that the woman, his people, are being nourished during that time. He's taking care of them. And so we find that even though the main church in town, the Roman church state, or the little horn power, is persecuting God's people, we find that God is still taking care of his church. We find groups like the Waldensians. Uh, We find groups like the Ethiopian Sabbath keepers. Uh, Other individuals who are still faithfully following Jesus during that time. Well, notice, friends, what the scriptures tell us in verse 15. The serpent, Satan, spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman and that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. The woman comes out of hiding after the wilderness time period is done. After 1798, when the Pope is put in prison, that's the official end of the uh, time, times, and and half a time. But the Bible tells us here that after the woman comes out of, of hiding, Satan is still mad at the church. He's still mad at God's people. And so he still is trying to persecute the church during this time period, but praise God that God always has a plan for the church. And here in Revelation uh, 12, even though Satan is trying to spew water, he's trying to persecute God's people, notice verse 16, that the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. 
Bible scholars, as we study this uh, passage, and as you have all studied this passage, we find it very clear that when you look back in history, uh, God opened up a small, very distant place from where all this persecution was happening to help God's people. Uh, We find that a lot of people started coming here to the United States of America, a place of, of freedom, a place that was founded on the principles that, you know what, we don't want what happened in Europe to happen here. We're gonna start a country where people can worship freely to the dictates of their own conscience, and we're not going to tell them how they need to worship God. That was the original ideals that this nation was founded upon, but as we know from Bible prophecy, this nation's going to lose those ideals, isn't it, over, over time. But here in America, God raised up new groups of people to continue to spread forth this message. We find here in verse 17 that there is a group of people after uh, the wilderness that comes out of the earth that God raised up to let people know that he was coming soon. Revelation 12, 17, it's the very next verse. We just read verse 16, but it says the dragon was wroth. He was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. How does God describe this small group of people that are saying we're gonna keep on following Jesus? Well, they keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense, church family? God's people in the last days, the Bible tells us very clearly that they are going to keep all of God's commandments and they're gonna have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And later on in Revelation, the Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, notice uh, Revelation 14, 12. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. God wants a group of people in these last days who desire to make Jesus the number one priority in their life. More important than work, more important than even family, more important than the church, Their relationship with God and obedience to what he is asking them to do takes precedent over anything else. And God has raised up a group of people that are following God's commandments and doing what what, what he asks. So we find that there are characteristics of this remnant group of God's last day people. These group of people are, are keeping the commandments of God. This is what the Bible tells us. They have the testimony of Jesus. They're a global movement with a special message. And the Bible, in fact, tells us exactly what this group of people in the last days are preaching. The Bible says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the, what kind of gospel? Everlasting gospel. Friends, do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins? Amen. There's a group of people that are preaching righteousness by, not by works, but by faith. They have the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, not just to people in North Carolina, not just to people in California, not just to people here in the United States, but to every nation, every tribe, tongue, and people. And we have at this church, I'm so thankful, we have tribes and tongues and people here at this church. How many of you speak a language other than English? Raise your hand. Ah, Look at all those hands. Praise God. That God's desire is not just to share the gospel in English. His desire is that every person, every tribe, tongue, and people hears this message. Do you believe that, friends? And this group of people are sharing this message around the world, 
They're saying with not a quiet voice, but a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment not is going to come, but has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Now that last phrase here in the first angel's message is a direct quote from which commandment, friends? The fourth commandment. The commandment to remember the seventh day to keep it holy. This is a, a reference to worship God as our creator. The second angel's message. Another angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. There is religious confusion in the last days. And God is calling people to come out of religious confusion to worship him in spirit and in truth. Calling people out of Babylon. A third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. This is one of the most austere messages in all of scripture. One of the most austere warnings. That, hey, if, if you don't, if, if, if you worship the beast and its image and receives that mark, you shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Pastor Wright went over this, how the mark of the beast is very connected to the seventh day Sabbath. That the, the Sunday issue versus the Sabbath issue, it's a big issue in these last days, isn't it? It's not just a small issue. You know, it really doesn't matter which day people worship on. Well, well friends, scripture is indicating that it, that it does matter. That God wants us to follow all of the commandments, not just, we don't, we don't want a 10% discount on the commandments. I'll take 90% of them. 10%, it doesn't matter. No, God wants us to worship all of them, doesn't he, friends? So we find that there's a group of people that are preaching a last day message. They're worldwide in scope. They're around the globe. They're preaching that the judgment has come, that in 1844, Jesus went to the most heavenly sanctuary, most holy compartment, preaching the judgment has come. They're, they're preaching worship God as creator, calling people back to the Sabbath. They're asking people to come out of, of Babylon to be aware of the beast. Uh, 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 characteristics of this last day group of people. And, and we'll allow, rather than me just saying it, uh, we'll allow the little horn power to tell us exactly who this last day remnant people are. This comes from a newsletter that was written in 1995, not that long ago, from a little uh, Catholic church in, in Michigan. The uh, friar who was writing this newsletter uh, was telling his people that, you know what, if you really want to follow all of God's commandments, then, then you should do something. This is what he said. People who think that the scripture should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. Interesting. That's not me saying those words. That's not Pastor Wright saying those words. That's from the little horn power itself. You know, if you really want to follow the Bible, then this is the, the natural conclusion. And we see, friends, that the this, this Seventh-day Adventist movement is not a pathetic movement, but a prophetic movement. It's not a pathetic, sad, uh, you, no, it's a prophetic. God prophesied that there would be a movement in these last days that would boldly proclaim Jesus is coming soon. They would boldly proclaim the cross, that Jesus has died for our sins. They would boldly proclaim the love of God as found in Scripture. They would boldly proclaim the three angels' messages. And this last day group of people, this movement, is not just another denomination, it's not just another church. It's a 
fast-growing movement of people that people around the world are getting excited about. In fact, you know that the Seventh-day Adventist movement is the fastest-growing Christian movement in the world. That every, uh, every hour, so think about it, 24 hours, every single hour, there is another three churches that, that, that raise up. But it is. It's the fastest-growing movement. You know, uh, every single day, more and more people are getting baptized. This movement officially started in, in 1863 with about 3,500 people, and today, uh, in 2022, at the very end of 2022, there are over 22 million people that are part of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. It's, a, it's an exciting movement to be a part of. And, and these prophecies that we just looked at in Scripture, they didn't just get us excited in today's day and age. No. You look back in, in history, and there were people that were so excited about this message. Jesus is coming soon. He's raised me up to let people know that God is a God of love. I, I can't hide this to myself. I have to go out, and, and I have to spread this, this message with other people. And the Seventh-day Adventist uh, movement was one of the first churches in the United States that said we have to share this message with the globe. If it's, if it's a message that goes to every tribe, tongue, and people, we can't keep this message to us here in the United States. And a lot of us are very aware of the first official Seventh-day Adventist missionary named John Nevin Andrews, J.N. Andrews, and, uh, called Andrews University that's named after J.N. Andrews. And the church in, in 1874 sent him to Europe. And he was the first official missionary uh, to Europe. But even before him, before him, there was someone else that went to Europe and started spreading the seeds because they were convicted about what you and I are convicted about. They were convicted that this is a prophetic movement that God has raised up to let people know that, that Jesus is, is, uh, is coming soon. This individual, uh, his name is Michael Cheskowski, uh, but his story is fascinating because Michael Cheskowski was actually Polish. He was born in Krakow, Poland in 1818, and he became a Franciscan monk as a youth, but he was forced to escape Poland when the monastery that he was a part of became embroiled in a political crisis. As you study Michael Cheskowski's life, you find that Unfortunately, he had a, a, a confrontational personality. Do you know people like that? You know, they're a little, a little confrontational. He was confrontational. God used him in a mighty way. But even though he didn't have a lot of tact or diplomacy, he made up for that in devotion to Jesus. He loved God. He loved the truth with all of his heart. And he was devoted to championing God's cause no matter the cost. Well, this devotion to sticking up for God often got him into to hot water. And during his time as a Franciscan monk, he became deeply disillusioned by their lack of spirituality. He was a monk himself, and he said, you know what, there's really not a, a deep spirituality, and he tried to reform the monastery. This is over in, in, in Poland. He actually even uh, appealed to the Pope himself. He had a, an audience, Michael Cheskowski had an audience with the Pope himself. Uh, this is prior to him coming to America, prior to him uh, becoming a, a, a Christian, rather a, a Bible-believing Christian. And he was actually in prison because of that for a year. So he was trying to reform the monastery back in Poland. He was exiled for three years in France before finally finding his way to, to Switzerland. He ended up getting married there, um, following in the footsteps of some other uh, monks. And, and, and in 1851, he ended up 
uh, getting some help from some Baptists in, in Canada. They were able to help secure his, his, his passage uh, uh, over, and he spent some time in Canada for a little bit, but in 1857, he became a Sabbatarian Adventist. This is before the Seventh Adventist Church didn't officially start until 1863. But in 1857, because of a series of, of meetings in Ohio, he became a believing Sabbatarian Adventist. He believed Jesus was coming soon. He believed that the Seventh-day Sabbath was important. And he actually became a celebrity among Sabbatarian Adventists because they were fascinated that they actually had a real live ex-Catholic priest among them. Like, wow, this is, this is exciting uh, for them. And he was so zealous, and, and uh, so he attracted a, a lot of attempt, attention. And the Whites, actually, if you look up in uh, James and Ellen White's writings, the Whites often helped him financially on several occasions before James White realized that he needed advice with regards to financial management more than he needed financial assistance. You know? So he was a little headstrong as you read about his life. You know, he often went uh, beyond uh, what his brother were saying. He didn't often uh, listen to them. He kind of beat to his own drum. He sometimes felt restricted by what the brethren uh, was, was uh, asking them to do. And as early as 1858, he had actually written to Ellen White expressing a desire to do missionary work in, in Europe. Remember, he was born in Poland. He had come from there, came over to the United States, and already in 1858, he had just become a Sabbatarian Adventist in 1857, he had this burden to go back to Europe to start spreading uh, uh, the gospel. Ellen White wrote him back, and, and she commended him for being conscientious and honest before God, but she also warned him, don't allow unbelievers to lead him astray with empty praise, and you know, uh, uh, don't be so swift to act, uh, she, she said. So in 1863, when the General Conference was organized, it actually, in 1863, began to lay plans to send a missionary to Europe. Now think about that. It wasn't until 1874 when the church first officially sent Jay and Andrews to Europe, but already in 1863, the General Conference is thinking about how, who can we send to Europe? You know, Europe has just come out of such uh, one author, uh, John Robinson, he was a pastor to the pilgrims, he called Europe a uh, thick anti-Christian darkness. You know, think about for 1,200 years, there was a whole generations of people that weren't able to read the Bible. And it was a difficult place to do missionary work. So the church started realizing we need to send people there. And in 1863, when Cheskowski heard the General Conference was wanting to send someone, he started writing letters and started talking to Jan Loughborough and said, hey, you know, put in a good word for me in this com uh, committee. But the brethren basically uh, rejected his offer to go to Europe because of his rash personality, uh, even though he was very sincere. So, and this is the part that maybe some of you have heard about. Cheskowski was so determined to go do what God had called him to do, so determined that when the General Conference Committee rejected his offer to go to Europe, he set his mind to make his pitch to another group. So he ends up going to the Advent Christians. Now the Advent Christians were former Millerites who had not accepted the Sabbath. They accepted, they hadn't accepted the sanctuary message, but they had accepted the biblical teaching on the state of the dead, that you sleep in the grave until uh, Jesus comes. And he goes to the Advent Christians and says, hey, I want you to send me to Europe. I'm so excited. The people there need to hear this message. And the Advent 
Christian church got behind him and they sent him to Europe. They paid for his way. So in 1864, 10 years before John Nevin Andrews went, Michael Cheskowski in 1864, accompanied by his wife, four children, and I didn't know this, he also was accompanied by Anna Butler, who is the sister of George Butler, later president of the General Conference. And I didn't get any information on why uh, Anna Butler went with them, maybe to help watch the kids, I'm not sure. They end up going over, sponsored by the Advent Christian Church and not by the uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church to do God's word for four years. In four years, he, he uh, ended up in Vienna dying of exhaustion and overwork in February 1868 at age of 57 in Vienna, Austria. You know, I found his story fascinating, one, because he was Polish, but two, because he was determined to go spread the gospel no matter what. And I want to tell you this, friends. One of our first lessons I believe I want to bring out today is that you do not have to wait for a vote from Pastor Wright and I to go spread the gospel. You don't have to do it. You don't have to wait for the church board to come up with an evangelistic series to go invite someone. You can go forward and spread the good news because Jesus has called you to do that, amen? And he will give you strength and courage to do that. And it was because of Michael Cheskowski's influence, we, we don't know exactly you know, how the message ended up coming to Poland, how Sabbatarian Adventist work ended up coming to Poland. Uh, but eventually through his work, through John and Andrew's work, the gospel eventually started to spread in Europe as they, they had more uh, converts. And God began to uh, do a work there in Europe in a very secular place. For 1,200 years they had been in the darkness, but God was beginning to call them out of the darkness. And I wanna go ahead and, and um, I'll read a quote to you, and this quote comes from Prophets and Kings, and notice what we're told here in this book called Prophets and Kings. Among earth's inhabitants scattered in every land, there are those that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Do you believe that, friends? Like the stars of heaven which appear only at night, these faithful ones will shine forth when darkness covers the earth and gross darkness the people. In heathen Africa, in the Catholic lands of Europe, isn't that interesting uh, phraseology, in the Catholic lands of Europe and of South America and China and in India and the islands of the sea and all the dark corners of the earth, God has reserved a firmament of chosen ones that will yet shine forth amidst the darkness revealing clearly to an apostate world the transforming power of obedience to his law. Wow. There were people that recognized, you know what? God still has his remnant there among those uh, in Europe. And that is why a ministry called Adventist World Radio decided uh, not long ago that, you know what? We need, to, we need to come back to Europe and we need to have an entire Christ for Europe campaign. There is still a lot of secularism there, and we need to uh, spread the message. And if you notice uh, what she said there in the Catholic lands of Europe, and I know uh, uh, some of you have been to Europe today, and, and you clearly see the uh, very uh, Catholic influence uh, on the country. And I wanna show just a, a few pictures uh, as we continue, uh, just to show the, the influence of Catholicism, uh, not just in Europe, uh, but, but also speci specifically uh, in Poland. This, uh, I was driving along back from um, uh, some meetings and uh, ended up uh, taking a picture of this church because right next, uh, directly across the street from this uh, Catholic church in, in Poland uh, was a Polish cemetery. And the pastor had actually said, Jeff, 
I want to make sure that you go to a, a Catholic cemetery uh, because you'll notice that they're very different than cemeteries uh, here in the United States. Every single gravestorm is, is, is opulent. Every single one is, is taken care of. I actually saw people, and you'll see just, just a minute, there's a lot of uh, flowers that you see. You know, you, you don't see just a plot of dirt and a little small gravestone. You know, uh, this is a lot of money being pumped into uh, these um, graveyards and these cemeteries. And you can see there's a lot of uh, monuments in, in a lot of uh, uh, cemeteries there in Poland. Why are, you know, every single uh, gravestone, there's, there's a lot of money invested in that. Uh, but if, if you have a belief that your dead loved ones are watching what you're doing from heaven and that you can uh, uh, see what they're doing and they have emotion toward you, you want to, to please them, right? And so it would make sense that uh, you would want their uh, grave to, to be you know, incredibly opulent and beautiful and you, you spend a lot of money uh, uh, to, to make it like that. And in addition, if, if your loved one's in, in purgatory, perhaps you can still influence them uh, to get to heaven uh, uh, someday. Uh, some of you have been to a lot of the incredibly beautiful cathedrals uh, in, in, in Europe. This particular one was in Krakow, Poland. But as you, know, you look through some of these buildings, I mean, it's amazing that some of these buildings literally took like 800 years to build. Imagine taking you know, a generation back in those days was probably half of a hundred. So imagine taking, you know, uh, if they're 800 years, or I think this one was 600 years to build. So you're looking at 12 generations to complete these massive, massive uh, uh, buildings. And there's so much that's poured into the building, so much that's poured uh, into the art. And you can, you know, just incredible uh, uh, stained glass and massive uh, uh, structures. And you, you walk into these buildings and you're struck with the building. Like that was my first thought. These buildings are incredible. But I don't think that when you walk into a church, your first thought should be about the building. It should be about Jesus, right? And I believe, friends, that, that God's concern with this little horn sea beast power in these last days is a desire to attract to man-made things and not heavenly things. It, it's tough uh, to go into you know, uh, one of these buildings like this and not be amazed by what you see there, uh, but to quietly, reverently sit down and focus on, on Jesus in, in heaven uh, is, is, uh, is very challenging. We went to a salt mine outside of, of Krakow, and uh, mining in Poland has a lot of history. They've been mining for salt for many years. Uh, this is not the only salt mine. There's, there's many uh, uh, dozens of salt mines in Poland, I heard. This one actually just recently shut down within the last 10, 15 years. What was interesting is you go into the salt mine, you know, you're going down six, 700 feet, uh, and they've been working the salt mine for, you know, since like 800 AD. I mean, they've been working this salt mine for a long time. There are huge uh, uh, caverns that are uh, uh, dedicated to uh, Catholicism. And so this is a, actually uh, a Catholic church in the salt mine that's 700 feet uh, down below, and you can see uh, there... Uh, they've carved all of these uh, different statues out of, out of salt. You can actually, there's certain places where they let you lick the wall to see if it's actually salty. And I was a little afraid of that. You know, like, who's licked the wall behind me? You know, you just, you don't know. And she told me that, you know, the groups of school children that come through, you know, they all want to lick the wall. And I'm like, do I want 500 uh, licks? Uh, but my children did test it. You know, they're not afraid. So they, they confirmed that it was salty. You know, so this entire uh, uh, underground salt mine, you know, made completely of salt, 
And you can see here the largest statue that was there, the largest monument, and it's kind of hard to tell, uh, but is actually not dedicated to Jesus. Who do you think it's dedicated to? To, to, to Mary. And you can see uh, there Mary in the background. There's Jesus on the side, uh, maybe not quite as important, but there's uh, uh, Pope John Paul II. Uh, Pope John Paul II is very famous in Poland because uh, he was Polish, and so they have a lot of respect for him. The international airport in Krakow is called the John Paul II International Airport. Just a large uh, Catholic influence uh, in the country. It wasn't just that big uh, uh, cavern that I told you about. Here's another small little chapel. You know, and just a couple of other observations um, about the influence of Catholicism in, in, in Poland um, is that Sunday laws are very much already happening there. We were interested to, to find out that on Sunday, you can't go to the grocery store and, and buy bread because all the grocery stores are closed uh, on Sunday. And in fact, they made a, a law about eight years ago, they made a law that any chain uh, store, so any chain establishment, has to be closed at least three Sundays a month. One of the ways that we found this out was because we needed some food on Sunday morning, and you walk out of the apartment that they uh, kindly gave us, and, and the streets are just quiet. Um, and I, as I was talking to Pastor Richard Jankowski, uh, used to be the, the president of the Polish Union. He was telling me more about uh, politics and, and, and the church. And for the last eight years, the, the current Polish government has had very close ties with the Catholic Church, so much so that they've made all their decisions together. Now, that just changed right when we left uh, Poland. They had an election, and that particular government got voted out. And so there's a new... Uh, more left-winged uh, uh, government that's going to, uh, uh, to come in that probably won't have as much ties with the, with the Catholic Church. But it's interesting to see a lot of the things that we talk about here in America, these Sunday laws are happening, are, are happening in, in uh, many places uh, uh, there. So because of you know, how secular Poland is, because of how secular Europe is, because of, of the fact that during that wilderness time period, Europe was in a lot of darkness, there needs to be a lot more wor mission work that's, that's done there. And so I wanna play just a three minute video to kind of explain how this Christ for Europe project uh, started um, and, uh, and, and how it came about. Adventist World Radio, AWR, with total member involvement, TMI, are active on the front lines. We are excited to share with you miraculous stories and testimonies from our Christ for Europe initiative. Together, we will discover God's transforming power across Europe. Hi, I'm Cammie Utman, and this is AWR 360. Come with us to Prague, the capital of the Czech Republic. In the heart of this historic city is the Old Town Square, displaying the statue of reformer and martyr John Huss. To stand in this very square symbolizes so much to us as Christians of the Protestant Reformation. The monument's inscription quotes John Huss saying, love each other and wish the truth to everyone. This could also be said of the motive for Christ for Europe, truth to everyone. The Christ for Europe idea began when Radim Passur shared his dream of a Europe-wide evangelistic event with General Conference President Ted Wilson and AWR President Dwayne McKee. Biblical prophecy leaves no doubt that our loving God is still counting on Europe. Evangelism in Europe is extremely important for the salvation of more people, for the kingdom of God, for understanding the times we live in. 
and for presenting God's character. Praise God for leaders who demonstrate by example. Elder Wilson preaches a series of meetings every year. The remnant church needs an evangelistic-minded leader. And that is what Christ for Europe is all about, presenting God's word to the people of Europe in a very secular setting, they are, but we're seeing so many people drawn to the wonderful power of Christ and signing for baptism, committing themselves to truly being part of God's last day people, those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. Christ for Europe is a dream come true. Numerous countries accepted AWR's invitation to join in this evangelistic thrust. The response was incredible. In the beginning of 2023, three divisions, 30 unions, and 38 countries participated at 1,530 evangelistic sites with local speakers as well as 146 guest speakers flying in from around the world. These meetings brought everyone together, joining hands to preach in places many consider to be impossible to reach. Friends, this message needs to get around the world, doesn't it? Our family had the privilege uh, to go to, to Poland to, uh, to be one of those sites. Um, and we were in Bielsko Biala, which is in the uh, south western corner of Poland. This was the title of the series, uh, Is Our Earth in Danger? Uh, Come Discover the Future of the World. Don't ask me to pronounce this. Uh, I I attempted to uh, learn some Polish, but basically all I got was good morning. Uh, That's basically it. Um, Which good morning, I'll teach you a little Polish, is dzień dobry. That's basically all that I got. The interesting thing is that dzień dobry can also be said uh, in the evening as well. So if you started out the meeting, you know, I could say Jean Dobre, which is just uh, kind of the, uh, the standard ge- greeting. This is the flyer that they passed out, um, which had the title of, of the series uh, there on it. I was very, very thankful for this website. Does anyone know, can you read what that website is? Google Translate. Praise the Lord for Google Translate. Because every single slide that I had, I would plug into the left, Polish, and notice there is the title of the series, and I actually did this yesterday because I had to remind myself, what was the title of the series again? I can't read Polish. Plug it into Google Translate. Oh, Explore the Future of the World. Is Our Earth in Danger? And Google Translate, you can even have a conversation with someone where they're speaking Polish and you're speaking English, and uh, it actually uh, will say out loud on speaker uh, what the Polish uh, is. And So I'm very, very thankful for that. But even despite all of uh, you know, amazing technology is, Pastor Richard Jankowski, he had to spend a lot of work, a lot of what we were doing every day was going through the slides to make sure that the Polish was accurate and grammatically correct. He said about 90% of it, you know, it was decent. The Bible verses, for example, I found a Polish translation online, the only Polish translation. He said, yeah, there's not a lot of Polish translations that are good, but he had to go through every single Bible verse and, and look at each one, and I was going through, you know, my slides, because I, I you know, a, a long evangelistic sermon sometimes has 120, you know, slides, and we had to cut it down to more like 70, 75, so you're cutting out a lot of material. Uh, so that's what a lot of, of during the day that we were doing. Uh, but here's a picture of our, our family, and um, the reason that we chose Matthew, I chose Matthew 6, 8, is that your father knows the things that you need before you ask. 
And you know, our family had a little bit of anxiety going to this trip, if we're honest, because uh, we had not taken our three children uh, on a global trip like this, but it was new to us, and so there was a lot of uh, uh, learning curves, and, uh, but we found as a family that God took care of all of our needs. That every single time that we needed something or needed to get somewhere or uh, had a question, that God always took care of it. You can see all of the, the, the kids smiling here, and probably most of the trip it was like that, as you do mission work for God, but there's always challenges, right? And you k- keep on staying close to Jesus no matter what. The uh, church there kindly uh, rented us a- an apartment. Uh, you know, people sometimes have a conception that Europe is a very wealthy uh, uh, place, but that- that's not the case. You know, Poland, uh, essentially four of, of their dollars is-, is one of our dollars, and uh, so it-, it took a lot of resources for them to put something like uh, this together. Here's a picture of our family with Pastor Richard Jankowski and his wife, Jan. Our family found this couple the most loving people that we have ever met. I mean, they were so kind. Every single time that we got together with them, uh, uh, his wife would have some sort of present for the kids, and, and they were just very, very sweet, loving people. Um, and I wish I could tell you uh, more about them. They've, they've been through a lot together as a family. You know, Pastor Richard came out of, of, uh, of communist Poland. He has some powerful stories. But this man is so dedicated to mission. You know, he was the union president for eight terms, eight years, I mean, uh, two terms, um, but then he, um, and he's 72, 73 years old, uh, he, and he still is passionate about the gospel. He says, I'm going to keep on pastoring. So he's local, pastoring a local district. He has about 12 churches that he's uh, taking care of, um, but they fed us some wonderful Polish food. We weren't too sure uh, what we were going to expect there, but praise God that Polish food is fantastic. It really is. I'll share one uh, thing here. These little things were, were cabbage-filled. There was like where it, was, it, was, it was a cabbage, uh, and inside was, was mushroom and rice, and you had this gravy. It was so good. Wasn't the food good? Uh, it, was, it was excellent. Uh, so we were uh, grateful that they uh, fed us some good food. This is the Seventh Avenue Church. Uh, the meetings were not held here. Can't really see this church but, uh, or the message on it, but the Bible verse is from 2 Timothy, and the Bible verse is there's only one man and mediator, Jesus Christ. And why do you think in a very Catholic country there's a verse uh, like, like that? Uh, this is the Adventist church. That phrase on their back wall says, come Lord Jesus. The first Sabbath that we were there, uh, we got to uh, preach. These are some friends uh, that, we, uh, that we made. This lady in particular in the middle was so kind to us. Eden had pretty uh, bad uh, cold while we were there. She was coughing and, and, and had a fever. And this lady was a nurse, and she got us some prescriptions and, and some medication uh, that helped. And so we're very grateful uh, to her. The uh, kids uh, were given some, some uh, Polish, uh, traditional Polish uh, hats and uh, some flutes. This meeting hall, they, they, they spent a lot of resources uh, to rent this meeting hall, but the reason they wanted a neutral location was so that uh, people wouldn't be prejudiced to come to Adventist Church. If they held it at the Adventist Church, they said no one would come. Um, and so they rented out this old hotel uh, that has a lot of history, um, but that's where the meetings were held every night. And there was a good attendance. Uh, on the weekends, opening weekend, there was about a 120 people uh, each, each night. Um, during the week, maybe a little less, uh, 80 or so. Um, and there was a, a small, consistent group of, of, of non-Adventists. Uh, there were probably uh, five to, to 12 consistent uh, non-Adventists that you know, at least came a, a few times. Most of them were, were church members. And I will admit, you know, y- your kind of desire is to go into a place and have immediate success. You know, they're all, they're all converted, praise the Lord. And that wasn't the case. 
You know, Poland, Polish people are very private. It was even a struggle to pass out commitment cards because they said, well, if you pass out commitment cards, they'll think that you're, you know, uh, getting the information and, and then they'll leave. We've had that experience. And it, it was hard to give uh, appeals and that sort of thing. But, but I, I know this, friends, that many seeds were planted. And, and that's what God calls us to do is to obey him and to share the message. Uh, the Polish pastor was sharing that church members were, you know, uh, more enthusiastic about the message that God uh, has, has given us. Uh, and, and he was a, a very uh, gracious individual. So they had this, this, uh, this talk every night, and then they also had uh, beautiful music. This uh, individual, her name is Kat, and I'll just briefly share uh, one of the stories that came out of this, is that she was from Belarus. She had been raised at Adventist. Uh, but long story short, she uh, had been overworked and kind of burnt out for the last four years, had kind of strayed from God, but the Holy Spirit was slowly bringing her back into a relationship with Jesus. And it was because of these meetings that she got a, a deeper appreciation for the character and love of God. She wants to keep touch with our family and, and uh, continue uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that friendship. Um, so there were uh, several people like that, that even though they were church members, they had strayed in their walk with God. Often evangelistic meetings uh, do that. It's not, it's not just for those people out there, but it's for us as well, isn't it, friends? Um, and the very uh, last night, the very uh, uh, last night, it was a Saturday night, and we gathered around in this beautiful uh, uh, hotel, and we all held hands, and we sang a, a, a Polish uh, song together. And as, as I was thinking about uh, uh, that last song that we had together, and you know, my desire to, to sing Polish, I, I, I couldn't help but think of, 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 of heaven. And isn't it going to be a beautiful thing, friends, when we gather together in heaven, hand in hand, with brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, and people, and we're all going to be singing and praising God in the same language. We're all going to understand each other, and we're going to be gathered around that beautiful welcome table singing praises to our Creator and our Savior that we've made it. And friends, uh, as, as I think about this experience uh, that we had in, in Poland, you know, I, I, I wish I had, I genuinely wish I had a lot more conversion stories and this person made decisions for baptize, uh, baptism and, and, and I wish there were more, but sometimes God's desire for us is just to be faithful and share the message. And the pastor, uh, Richard Jankowski, is following up with his church members for a lot of these people and, 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 and we look forward to hearing more stories of how God is going to use the seeds that, that were planted there. Uh, but the good news is that all of us can be involved in mission. Isn't that right, friends? All of us can be involved in mission. God wants to use every single one of us to share that message. And it may be uh, overseas. Maybe it may be in a secular place like, like Europe. But here in the United States, friends, the United States is fast becoming like Europe, isn't it? It's a very uh, difficult, secular place as well. Uh, we just held some meetings, and it, it's a challenging time uh, to do mission work. But more than ever before, friends, God is looking for a group of people in these last days who will faithfully stand up and with trumpet-like tones share the message that Jesus is coming soon. That's what he's looking for, friends. And if your desire is to be a part of that mission. If your desire is to be a part of this movement of people in the last days to share this message that Jesus is coming soon, will you just raise your hand? You say, I want to be a part of that movement. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are bound for the promised land. Lord, we are walking on this pilgrim pathway toward you, Lord, toward heaven. And Father, thank you that we do not walk alone. 
Thank you that you walk with us, that you do mission with us. Father, I pray that you would flood our hearts and our minds with a deeper, stronger conviction to share this beautiful message that you have entrusted to us with the world. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. And we pray these things in the name and blood of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Amen.